scripture this morning is from Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We'll read verses 4 to 12. Would you please stand for the reading of the scripture? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have spoken to us. We're thankful that your word tells us of your Son, the Word made flesh. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would come and open our eyes and our ears, that we would see him high and lifted up, that we would hear his voice, and that we would receive your word with gladness and bear forth its fruit in our lives. So speak to us now in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Full assurance. Earlier in this service, we sang, Faith of our fathers. That old much-loved hymn is nearly in every hymn book you can find. It is even in the hymn books of churches that officially believe a true believer can fall away, lose his salvation, and be lost forever. Now, the ARP Church does not believe that. In fact, the doctrinal statement of our church on the subject is this, quote, They whom God hath accepted in His Beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. That's from chapter 17 of the Westminster Confession of this church. But here's the question. How does a church that believes a true Christian can be lost have faith of our fathers in its book? You know what it says. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we will be true to thee till death. 
How could you say or sing, We will be true to the faith of our fathers till death if you believe it's possible to lose the faith of your fathers before you die? At best, it would be optimistic speculation. And at worst, sheer presumption. Now, there are numerous passages to which we could point to show that a true believer will never be lost or that a true salvation can never be lost. Jesus said, I give my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all and no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. I am my Father one. No one is going to overpower God the Father and God the Son who hold us by the power of God the Holy Spirit and somehow pry us out of there. If God could be overpowered in that way, we would have no salvation to lose in the first place. And we know Paul said nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it forward to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Yet the passage before us contains a warning, a real warning. It's a warning about those who fall away. It's such a serious warning that it is really ground zero when it comes to the debate Christians have had for centuries over the possibility of a true believer losing his salvation. But I would submit to you that simply to look at this passage to debate that point is to miss the actual point of the passage. Look at verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. The purpose of this passage is for us, the readers of it, to show earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end and not be sluggish about it. It is to stir us up to work at gaining full assurance. So as we come to this passage, I ask you, have you gained full assurance of your salvation? Let's look at it. First in this passage, you see a stern warning. A stern warning. Look at verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. 
Now you see, he gives five examples of what the person in question has experienced. First, this is a person who has been enlightened. He's tasted the heavenly gift. He's shared in the Holy Spirit. He's tasted the goodness of the Word of God and he's tasted the powers of the age to come. Now scholars and theologians have debated for centuries what each of these means, but let's get the main thing clear. One can experience all these things and fall away. See, we look at this passage and we get interested in something other than the point. We want to know, was this person really a Christian? Sincere, godly Christians can disagree on that, though you know I have a firm commitment personally that a true believer will never be lost. But the meaning of the passage is clear. It's it's plain. It's not really up for debate. It's not saying that a true believer can be lost It's not concerned with whether the person lost ever was a true believer. It's saying that a person can be enlightened. A person can taste the heavenly gift, share in the Holy Spirit, taste the goodness of God and the powers of the age to come and still in the end be lost. And what's more, he says if they fall away, they won't come back. He says in verse 6, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Why? See, in verse 6, he says why? Since it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to content, willfully to walk away on Jesus is to make a total mockery of the crucifixion of Jesus and God will not grant the gift of repentance to one who thus drags His Son through the mud you see a severe warning. Secondly, in this passage, you see a plain clarification. A plain clarification. Look at verse 7. For the land that is drunk to rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God, but if it bears thorns and thistles it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. gives a very simple picture. Think about it. It rains on a field. If it produces corn or beans or useful crop, it is blessed. If the field produces thorns or thistles, it is cursed. Of course, the field is the person. And the rain falling on the field is the enlightenment, the Tasting the heavenly gift, sharing 
in the Holy Spirit, tasting the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. All these blessings are poured out on people who are exposed to the gospel. What comes up? What crop is made? Corn or thorns? Those who receive all these blessings either press on in faith or turn back. They either bear good fruit and are blessed or bear weeds and are cursed. Jesus said, To whom much is given, much is required. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Those to whom much is given, who receive the rain of God's grace, showers of blessings, but never bear any fruit and fall away, will never come back. Because Jesus says, John 15, it is God the Father Himself, the vine dresser that cut them out. The branches that bear no fruit. Just being in church, being in the building, being in the services. That's like being in the field, in the rain. It's essential. No rain and there's no life at all. But just being in the rain does not guarantee fruit. So you're where you're supposed to be. Two-thirds of membership in this church not where they're supposed to be this morning. That's obvious. Y'all are. And our visitors that have showed up this morning to fill in the gaps. Thank you. But where we're supposed to be. Good. In the church. In the work. You're exposed to the rain. But is there any fruit growing in your life? Every church I've been in, folks drift away. They were there, and they're not. I don't mean the ones who move away or join another church. I mean just stop flat being religious. They're religious a while, and they're not. See, they were getting rain, but no fruit was being produced. No internal change. So finally they fell away. It happens all the time. A plain clarification. See, see, a severe warning, a plain clarification, and thirdly and finally, you see a beautiful reality 
a beautiful reality. This is somewhat negative, but he ends on a, on a positive note. Look at verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. He essentially says, I feel sure this is not going to happen to you. He says, you've borne fruit. There's evidence of the reality of your faith. Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. These folks have worked for the Lord. They've shown love. They have served the saints. And He says, they're still doing it. They're bearing fruit. So why does He bring this up? This shocking warning about falling away. You know, if it weren't for this passage, I doubt there would have been much debate over the possibility of a Christian losing his salvation in the history of the church. So why bring it up if he says, I feel sure it's not going to happen anyway? Because it can happen. And it does happen. He felt sure it was not going to happen to them. But it does happen to some. Ever seen one of those commercials where someone who smoked for years and who's all shriveled up and has a raspy, breathy voice in a hospital bed says, This is where smoking died. Why do they do that? So you won't let it happen to you. I'm not picking on smokers today. I'm a former smoker myself. I quit because I'm scared of my wife. <laughs> and that's the only reason I quit. I'm scared of my wife. I'm glad she made me quit. Now look at verse 11. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He said we can have full assurance. And he says we've got to work at it. You see, he says in verse 11 that we are to show earnestness to have the full assurance. He says in verse 12, not to be sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and promise made it worse. Show earnestness, don't be sluggish. Imitate those who persevered. This is work. Now, we don't work for our salvation. Jesus worked for our salvation. I have finished the work thou gavest me to do, Jesus said. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high, hallelujah, what a Savior 
He did the work alone. In fact, if our salvation was based on our work, even just a tiny fraction of it were based on our work, we could never have assurance. Because we could never be sure we wouldn't mess it up. We don't work for our salvation. But we have to work at assurance. John Calvin said, There is nothing more difficult than to keep our thoughts fixed on things in heaven when the whole power of our nature inclines downwards and when Satan by numberless devices draws us back to the earth. Our flesh, the world, the devil works against us 24 hours a day. It takes work. Now I want to ask you, seriously, do you have full assurance of your salvation? Do you know for sure that your destiny is secure? Do you say things like, well, if I go to heaven? Or do you say, when I go to heaven? If you're still saying, if, I go to heaven. And there's something, little something nagging at you in the back of your mind that just won't quite let you come out and say when. You need to get to work. Not working at your salvation, but working at cultivating your own heart in mind. Search the scripture. Pray. Friends, let me be blunt. Your time is coming. I guarantee you, if it does not come suddenly, you will think about a lot of things as the time draws near. I will regret many things I have done as my time approaches. But so help me, I promise you, I will never regret. And you will never regret one minute spent seeking to gain assurance of our salvation. Now they teach you in seminary at the end of a sermon, never, ever, ever, ever say in conclusion, 
and I was a decent student, and I have obeyed my professors, and so far I have never, ever, at the end of a sermon, said, in conclusion. But today, I don't know how else to say it, so I have to say those dreaded words, in conclusion, because it never is. But this will be, because I read from a script. In conclusion, listen to these words from our confession of faith. It is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance. Now let's sing together of this blessed assurance, hymn 693 in the red book, hymn 693.